go creeping up on your big padded feet with your posture kind of parallel to the ground with your eyes watchful like a hunting beast your tail keeping your balance as you pad low and slow along the hallway peeking around the corner you can see what is a small maybe 15 by 15 by 10 feet tall but incredibly well-stocked alchemical lab it has jacob's ladders it has all of those spiral pipettes and tubes into flasks into beakers and things that are on fire causing chemical reactions in liquids to climb up tubes and do all the spirals and this person at the other end is wearing a hat tilted back on their head and sitting on their stool and working diligently without even noticing that you're here two questions one do i recognize the person and two can i sneak up on them one you need to roll perception to see if you can recognize them 15. Well, it looks like a human in a sort of, you know, like a shop coat, like a, a lab coat. This one is gray and it's kind of old and it's shabby and it hangs down over the back of the chair. And uh, you can just see a human from the back. You think they're male, but you know, hard to tell. You can't even tell the color of their hair. Oh, no, wait. There's a wisp of white hair against the white jacket. Nope. Doesn't look like anybody you know. I set up the glyphstone on a shoulder harness and get a thing propped up over my right shoulder so hopefully can record as much as possible as we're moving through this place. And the camera switches to the glyphstone's perspective, which has that pale green night vision look as it looks at Garnak's eyes, which register in night... Like, you can see Garnak's face because it's on his shoulder. It's a really close, bad angle. You can see some of the hairs in his nose. It's that kind of crap angle when he looks right at the camera. But uh, the neat thing is that dwarven eyes are red in the green light of night vision. Cool, huh? He taps on it a couple of times and whispers a few words in his native tongue. And uh, yeah, the camera switches back to the regular view. As for the rest, you need to roll me a stealth check. All right. Oh, boy. How do we do on those stealth rolls? Uh, I got a 13. I got a nat 20. And I had a 21. Magrin got a 4, but I feel like she's staying back anyway. She's a little... Uh, Weary. Yeah, Garnack wasn't... As soon as people are trying to sneak up on something, Garnack was going to stop and wait till he heard something then come running. Starting with Vesper, who is uh, through the room like a ghost. She moves like a, like a shadow. Like You haven't... Well, you've seen shadows move. She's smoother even than that. She just kind of flows at a low creeping height across the room. Those big, puffy feet of hers, which look so bouffant and, frankly, somewhat ridiculous 
on occasion don't now they eat up all the sound that she makes and she glides smoothly as oiled frogs across the floor towards the back of this person next up was 13 for Juro? Yeah, Juro is going to watch her with, move with bated breath. He's not quite confident enough to uh, to follow behind her, and he knows better than to try and stop her again. He knows there's, that she didn't like it last time. There's a passing of wind as uh, the larger form of Finn just breezes past you, completely devoid of any sort of noise, with his rifle held ready. Finn, you come around the corner, you see that Vesper has snuck through all the work tables and uh, is creeping up behind this crouched figure with her big clawed hand held low and back to the side. You have the whole situation covered with your rifle. However, uh, wisdom save, please. That is an 11. One more than you needed to realize that taking a shot in here would probably not be a good idea. This is highly flammable and very explosive. Oh boy. Okay, so... She's, like, right behind the guy? <laughs> Five feet away. Okay. Finn sort of shakes his head ruefully and slings his rifle over his back and draws his knife and going to keep a safe distance and watch to see if Vesper looks back so he can catch her eye and give her a symbol to not do what she's thinking of doing. You don't know what's taking the rest of them, Vesper, but uh, you're almost there. Vesper would like to get up directly behind this person and very quickly wrap her claws around his neck and just shove the very pointed side slightly into his skin. The camera shows the figure just like over their left shoulder where you can see that they've got like you can see the brim of the hat and like the slight movement of somebody working you know with long hair how it just kind of as your body moves it flaps around and shit you don't even notice it but that's what you can see you can't see any face because it's a tight focus on the shoulder as vesper melts up out of the dark with her white skin and her missing antlers and her long black hair and her clawed hand she reaches out and closes her fingers until they touch around the neck like click your nails come together and she'll just pull him back ever so slightly because so he's leaned back in a chair and just flash a thing a slight little chuckle <laughs> well you're well, hiding in here aren't you when you pull back on the figure the motion tightens the like tightens your grip right through where throat and neck and tendons and everything else like that should be to pull back a hood knock the hat onto the floor 
and eventually contact against the vertebrae of a skeletal neck. The hands, which you now notice have no flesh, drop the tools that they were holding onto. And the figure stands and turns with your claws closed around its neck. Roll initiative. Welcome to Runelanders. I'm Matt Adam, your host and friendly neighborhood dungeon master, and so it's my job to let you know that Runelanders contains mature themes, adult content, coarse language, and things that might offend sensitive listeners, and so listener discretion is strongly advised. Now, if that sort of thing is your sort of thing, then thrill to these tales of terror in a town called Tallwater, far away in the west. It's the sort of place that has a space for the good and the bad and the worst and the best, and the sane and the mad and the cursed and the blessed. If not at its university, at least in its menagerie. What weirdness will these academic adventurers uncover in this Eldritch episode? Well, I could tell you, but... We'd rather show you we're the Runelanders. This is Tallwater Tales. So get ready, Runatics, and let's roll. What the funk is this? My definition of a boombastic jazz style. So, Magrath, there is the sound, that echoing hollow sound of magic tones being spoken in the other room. It's a two-tone word. Um, you're not sure what it is, but if you had to think, if you had time to think, it, it sounds like it named lightning, but that's what you need to snap yourself out of this funk you've been in. Something's up up there. What is it? You've got to see. You kind of check Garnak, he looks alright. And, uh, as you hear Garnak casting, or sorry, as you hear Juro casting magic in the other room, you dash ahead to see what's going on. Meanwhile, Finn, you see this happen. So, you're up next. Okay, so Finn is gonna rush forward, and the room's only 10 feet by 10 feet, right? So that can I can make it there with my movement. And um, not knowing try to interpose himself between Vesper and the skeleton with the help action on whatever she's doing next. Quick question, how tall is the skeleton? About 6'4". So Vesper is dangling from the skeleton's neck currently? Well, she had to re- like, she, when he stood up, she, he, he pulled her hand up, yeah. So, that would mean that, uh, as the skeleton turns around, Vesper's head tilts up to look this skeleton in the face, the tendrils of hair and beard coming out of the hood, which the skin on this thing is pulled tight like dried leather. 
and the eyes are gone, the teeth chatter behind lips that lost all sort of plumbness or fullness. And as you feel the lightning grab you around the body altogether, Finn runs up and just clobbers this thing off of you. Just kind of nails it off of you with the, with the butt of his wife. Your help, actually. Vesper, you get hauled right back off your feet. Uh, the skeleton gets knocked back onto his desk. Finn, you are standing between Vesper and Juro. Bottom of the round, Garnack. Alright, I'm gonna go running up just to see what I can figure out what's going on. Hearing all this commotion. Squeak, stop, squeak, stop, squeak, stop, squeak. You'll be here at the end of this round. Magrin, you're up. Is there more than one exit in the room? No, this looks like a closet off a closet. Like a closet off a back room in the basement. It's okay, a really, um, really well-made, well, I mean, apart from everything that's lying in ruins on the floor now, because Vesper got dragged through it with lightning. Okay, could I try to identify the undead creature? It is a skeleton. Okay. Good enough for me. Actually, I'd like you to roll insects. 17 on Insight. That jacket looks familiar. There's a patch. Well, there was a patch on the right breast. It's been gone for a while now, but the fabric that was underneath it is still lighter than the remaining fabric around it. Know what I mean? Like lab coats get stained, and this has a big white patch with brighter stains than the rest of the dimmer gray underneath the patch. Now, why is the shape of this patch, this missing patch anyway, why is it so relevant? Because they used to be on every lab coat in Tallwater University. How's a 19 do me? Perfectly, yeah. That's a, that's a Tallwater issue lab coat. Judging by this lab here now, Jiro and Magrin, This setup looks familiar. In fact, both of you have seen a laboratory set up exactly like this before. Okay. Mariam McCumber, potion master for years and years and years, retired up the coast, you heard. Workaholic. You didn't ever think she'd retire, but here you go. Looks like she really put everything into her work. Worked herself to the bone, you'd say? Speaking of old Mariam, she sits up off the desk where she's been knocked back by Finn, who now levels his rifle off at her. Unless you had something to do other than take a real good look. No, that's mostly what I wanted to do. All right. Yeah, you're pretty, you, all of that, you put all of these things together, you and Juro both with your perspicacious mind. Can I kick it? Yes, you can. Can I kick it? Yes, you 
Can I kick it? Is it my turn? Can I kick it? I'm gonna attack it with my machete. All right. So you sling the rifle because it wouldn't be a good idea to shoot anybody in here, and pull the machete out from the small of your back. The skeleton lurches forward off the table, and you slice at it with your machete. Roll your attack. Unless you want to create something better than that. Nope, that's good. Uh, and I roll 23. Well, that'll hit. Come and spread your arms if you really need a hug. Afrocentric living is a big It's eight damage. That's what I love. I love Unfortunately, Professor Wakumber was never a top gal to start of. with. We'll she was like a tall, spindly sort, you know? Not much for athletics, barely went out. Great alchemist. Did a lot of drugs. Goes all the pieces with this uh, back uphand sweep. That's it. Just one smash. Knocks her right down and out. If that was her. But uh, after a few moments, when nothing else comes into the room, you, and you are all alone in there, like Garnock, you come around the corner just to see Finn smoke this skeleton into nothing. I'm frantically pointing the can chucker around the room looking for something to shoot. There's another skeleton in the corner sitting in a chair. Have I noticed anything that would make me not shoot my gun at it? Nope. All right, so I am lowering the can checker and taking a shot. It begins to get up. You take your shot. Natural one. Click. The skeleton gets up off the chair and dashes at you. I'm probably going right at it, at least trying to throw my body into it to knock it off balance if I can, or get in its way with the rest of my move action, and okay. reach for my axe. Well, the skeleton comes charging off the chair, like this is a bone skeleton, it's been cleaned off and wired up and all this and that, it's, it's a medical grade specimen. But uh, it comes, it gets up off the chair, it comes rattling across the floor at you. You uh, charge right at it. It goes to grab you by the ears, but everybody tries to grab dwarf by the ears. For whatever reason, like tall folk, that seems to be where they want to grab you. So that's the first place you don't let anybody grab you. You slip this skeleton to make it a long story somewhat shorter and roll your attack. Well, I shot already, so I'm guessing I'm probably going to just grab my... I'll just grab the axe, kind of have it yes, ready, yeah, and yeah, get I ready to you, chop you at the thing you, next turn. You slip it, and as you and you pass each other, uh, and as you spin to face each other once again, your axe is free of its sheath. The can chucker spins around behind you, and its sling badly jammed. Top of the round, Magrin. Um... I'd like to use uh, Turn Undead. Okay. What ineffable point of logic are you going to present to Professor McCumber's uh, minion to make that person give up their undying vigil? I'm going to go into a long explanation about how uh, life cycles support other things in nature. And the fact that undead breaks the natural flow of the 
of the earth and life itself, and the fact that they're doing that is disrespectful to both magic and everything else. <laughs> ah, the Odegra conundrum. Very well done. Yes. And so you present this in the old tongue so that no thing may misunderstand it. Like, I mean, it's the, the, the arguments, the language of philosophy, right? And so you present this word of logic so she gets a save. Yeah, it's a wisdom save. 16. Passes. She does not go to the Magrin School of Philosophy. The manservant now, you're thinking this might be Jeffers. If that was indeed McCumber. Pauses for a second. Turns its face to you while looking... like Pauses for a second, looks over its shoulder away from Garnack to hear what you're saying and then goes back to the obvious threat of the dwarf and doesn't hear your argument. Finn. Uh, okay. Um, Finn will turn and try to engage. It. There's not a lot of space in this room, so I think he's just going to pivot gracefully on the ball of his foot and take a sort of leap over and slash at this one. Alright. You jump up onto the table where Vesper was dragged across and uh, take your slash. Will your turn? 18. Good. 9 damage. That's a good one. The skeleton, the skeleton is ready for you. This one's a little quicker than the alchemist, obviously. Uh, it gets a bony forearm up. You chop through its a radius bone and uh, that hand well let's just say if it was a mortal that arm wouldn't be usable unfortunately it's a skeleton um so the bone breaks but the hand takes a swipe at you you pull your head out of the way and vesper you're up and oh Jero, you're up okay uh i'm looking around the room and seeing nothing nothing that I really want to use any fire around, nothing that I actually want to fling at it. So I am going to I'm going to uh, move up, interpose myself between uh, the rest, everyone who isn't uh, nearby the skeleton and or, Interpose myself between the skeleton and everyone who's a little bit further away from it and take the dodge action. Make myself a little bit of a target. Classic. Alright, so you dash over and uh, now the skeleton is looking at three of you. There's Garnak who was in front of it, Finn who came up and high from the right, and now Juro who's rushing in from behind. You cannot get at its right hand side as that's the wall you had to go around to get into the room. However, you all enjoy advantage on your next attacks because this thing is flanked AF. Vesper! Vesper gets up from where she was on the ground and just starts Speaking in the language of Kanya, 
very loud and rather upset sounding and just goes off on a blue streak for her turn and just throws her hands up in the air while still basically starting to yell now in her language and just leans against the table and doesn't do anything. Garnet. I go ahead and extend my shield and take a swing with my battle axe. Okay, so uh, there's a snap from your offhand. So you're, are you left, right or left-handed? Right-handed. Okay, so there's a snap from your left bracer and the shield just unfolds. Like a, well, if that's how it works with you, it's, it's your gadget. But, so you, you unfold your, you unfold your shield and there's your axe. You're just going to attack with your axe? Yes. Cool. I got a 21. That'll hit. 11 damage. Another 11 damage. All right, so as uh, Finn jumps up onto the table and smashes through its left radius with his machete, you press the advantage and come running in from the front. Um, your shot, on the other hand, it gets its hand up, its right hand up ineffectually, but uh, you just smash right through to its, like it's, you smash its first three fingers off, thumb, pointer, and middle on its right hand, and uh, take a good nick out of its breastbone. The skeleton stumbles back. That one hurt. Top of the round, Magrin. Um, okay. Well, turning undead clearly didn't work. Um. Uh... Well, being frank, it's it's a theory that you'd read about and hadn't really tested and you weren't sure and maybe this wasn't the best thing. But it's sound. With practice, you can do it. You know you could. You just mm-hmm. never had it used to it before, right? First time for everything. Yeah, so Magrin's probably going to pull out her knife and go into a bit of a defensive mode. Um, so if, you know, anything comes at her, she's going to slash, but she's not going after it. All right, Magrin unsheaths her little knife and stands back low with her one hand up defensively. Next up, Finn. Finn is um, going to take a step back to dodge sort of the chips of bone and dust that are coming off of it caused by Garnak's big hammer swing or battle axe swing and uh, then step back in again and take another slash. Alright, give her uh, give her the goddamn, Nick. 25. I'm rolling well tonight. You guys are on fire tonight, yeah. 7 All damage. Right. That'll do it. Um, Garnak smashes a chunk off its breastbone. You go back in and uh, smash it right through the skull. Crush. The whole skeleton falls apart, apart from the parts that have been wired together. As uh, Finn takes, uh, pries the skull off of his machete. 
while he steps down from the table. You're out of initiative, folks. Vesper is still just swearing and speaking very loudly in Kanyan. Okay, everyone sound off. Nobody else in here knows what she's saying, but it's one of those things where you don't have to speak Kanyan to know that it's not, this is not wholesome things she's saying. Starting to pace ever so slightly, just back and forth in front of the table, um, bone claw squeaking as she runs it across the table. As one of the uh, as one of the words pops out, that's common among uh, those of a hellish persuasion that Juro does recognize. Uh, I will snap. Vesper, uh, language. Oh, go fuck yourself, Juro. Hey, this is Chance from NorCal Mythos Entertainment. I want to talk to you today about Lockdown, our upcoming anime-inspired tabletop role-playing game that's heading straight to Kickstarter. With all of our games, we really try to make it to where you can be what you want to be. And anime has so many amazing worlds and stories in it. Lockdown is designed as a sci-fantasy system, which means you don't really have limits on it. You can make any style of game that you want, whether sci-fi or fantasy or something in between. On top of that, we also added rules if you want to go through and focus in on shonen aspects or mecha aspects or cosmic horror, or maybe some cyberpunk. You can design the system and have rules that will help you to play the game that you want, not just the game that was built in. Lockdown is an expansion also to Carbine Jungle, but it's also built as a standalone game. With Lockdown, you have everything you need to go ahead and start playing your games and enjoy your characters. So if tabletop role-playing games or anime is your thing, Check out Lockdown, hitting Kickstarter this April. Adam, I'm looking for any of your entrances and exits to this room outside of the secret passage. Is there any way something else might come in here? You know, Garnak, as you're blinking off a bit of chemical fumes, um, no, there don't even seem to be any vents. Then I'm just looking around, watching the walls. I and mean, we got nothing dead. I, I, I'll just watch for something to walk through the walls if it, if it might do that. Just make sure that we're not getting attacked by anything. Do I find uh, any form of identification on the skeleton that I'm checking? Well, no, because that's not really much of a thing. But if you're looking at this person, the hands, such as they were, like their skin on these hands had been worn through the fingertips but amazingly well preserved otherwise looking at the way this is everything was all the equipment in here is perfectly clean there's not a speck of dust like there's a lot of wreckage because you hauled Vesper well the lightning cleared the table and then you hauled Vesper back over it but, um, yeah, there's, like, chemicals dripping all over the floor, shit busted everywhere. Notes spotted with various formulae, which you'll never come to. 
fruition now, but uh, Magrin looking around this place with Juro and everything being equal, this reminds you of your medicine lab more than anything else. In fact, if you're not wrong, that's a Belladonna reduction going on in that class right there, right now. And you're not wrong about these things. Of course, when it comes to potions, I know what I'm talking about. Yes, this, um, it was this definitely is the shop of the potion master. You see McCumber's fingerprints all over this place. Uh, I will uh, turn to I'd have to say it's it's looking more and more like it. Ah, shit. What's a McCumber? Uh, Miriam McCumber uh, was one of the finest alchemists the university ever produced. Uh, she was a colleague of mine for years and years and years. Uh, her potions probably saved my life on a dozen separate occasions. What do you think could have reduced her to this state? Any number of acids. Workahol. Get a taste for workahol and you'll wind up like this. And it's like, that's not even a joke. It's an alchemical substance that lets you just focus. Wait, so... The skeleton was your co-worker. My, uh, our co-worker is now a skeleton, yes. A walking skeleton. Now it's uh, a pile of bone skeleton on the ground, but that was your co-worker, that's what you're saying. Yeah, for years. Is that going to be a problem? No, I'm just trying to understand what's going on here. It's not a lich, which is something, because if that was a lich, I don't, well, we'd all be dead right now, so I'm a little bit grateful, but the fact that we have recognizable, possibly sentient undead running around is not really something I find pleasant. Well, sentient, she was dead, she was most likely dead for quite a while before she was reanimated as a skeleton. Uh, there didn't seem to be anything left of her in there. Which is unfortunate, because I would have loved one last conversation. So, she's here, as an undead, making potions. She's not making them for her, then, if she's not sentient. So who is she making potions for? Doesn't there need to be some sort of evil wizard who turned her into a walking skeleton? And arranging necromantic fields to animate dead isn't as much a matter of morality as it is just getting the proper alignments of different energies where they could be absorbed into the remains. With the bones, it's simpler than with flesh. It sort of, yeah, but sort of, yeah, we'll just go with yeah. Not There's a question of morality, Garlock. How dare this is a abomination against the natural life cycles of magic. Finn turns to Vesper and sort of says, well, while the eggheads are working out how this is happening, maybe we refrain from tapping anyone strange person on the shoulder in the future. 
Well, Magritte's talking to Finn, I reach over and grab a vial of uh, some necromantic alchemical prop with some necromantic alchemical properties and just kind of slip it behind my back and into the backpack. Magrid was not talking to Finn. She is very clearly ranting at Garnak. I nod and agree as I grab the reagents and put them in my backpack. Satchel, really. I can't really get into the backpack right now. Right. As Finn finishes his sentence to Vesper, she pauses in her Kanyan ranting, turns and looks at him with anger in her eyes and simply crosses her arms, the bone claw very large over her forearm, and just stares at him for a while. I had everything under control until you and him decided to rush in and make things worse. Things don't look too much worse now than they did before to me. I had things under control, Finn. Well, you have to admit, Garnak, there is a fair amount of overlap between uh, necromantic energy and nefarious purposes. I don't. Think oh, it's... true, true. But you know, it's it's not necessarily cause and effect. You just end up having more people that tend to align along those ways. Plus, they have some traditions. I mean, have you even looked into the Macarnic occultists? I mean, that's just a lot of bad eggs. <laughs> I fell in among a few uh, several years back. I should tell you that story sometime. Are you done? Skeletons don't talk as much as you all give them that. That was hilarious, you guys. Vesper just throws her hand up in the air, her skeleton hand waving around, and then just goes back to pacing and not yelling this time, but speaking in Kanyan. Finn's gonna search the room to see if he can find anything valuable. Yeah, there's about $1,500 worth of alchemy equipment in here. Anything I don't have in my labs? There's a couple of things that you could probably use. These are better quality, like... This is Masterclass Equipment, right? Gives you advantage on alchemy checks. A lot of my alchemical stuff's just kind of ramshackled from what I could get secondhand from uh, the old professors. So I'll mm -hmm. probably start seeing what I could pack up. Uh, see what I could pack up safely into the pack without getting crushed. I'm not going to be grabbing anything that is going to slow us down or make it to where we can't just run out if we have to run out. I'll be looking for stuff that I can um, properly arrange in the pack, get padded up, so that way it should survive the journey back. All right. Garnet, so while... is there anything you want me to take? I look around at everything that looks like a, approximately like it might have something to do with necromancy. And it's like, um, no, no, I, whatever you think might help you. If there's any kind of cauldrons for producing medicine and that kind of thing, I would take those, and I'd really want to laugh at the idea of putting them up my hair. Absolutely. So, uh, Magrin is doing just that. You're looking for things. You're like, okay, well, this is... Oh, I can use that. Oh, jeez, I don't have a... 
and I don't have a set of these. So she takes a long set of uh, stir glass stirring rods for various alchemical purposes. These are still wrapped in the paper, so they're new. And uh, one by one, she feeds them into her coiffure. Shortly after that, she finds a silver pot scoured, perfectly clean with sand and uh, perfectly neutral for all kinds of chemical purposes. These are expensive. Can't let that go. It's about the size of a salad bowl. So it's hard to get into the circumference of your hair. But once you manage that... Does she look like she's wobbling back and forth? You, you see her kind of rolling her, her head around like her neck's a little stiff? Yeah, there's a little more weight than you thought there was in your hair. You know, you should probably pull out your cooking pot. Nothing good came or ever came out of that anyway. That's a valuable commodity. I'll go through it when we have more time. Well, you're due to wash it next month, right? So, um, If I got a chance, I was probably going to head over and try and talk to Vesper real quick. Uh, just, I walk up over to Vesper, just kind of stand side by side on her, and you got to realize, no one here didn't think you had things under control. You also need to realize, no one here is going to let you run in somewhere dangerous without trying to put ourselves between you and the danger. It's not that we think you're fragile. We're just willing to risk our lives to make sure you stay alive. That's what we're going to do. Every single time. Why? Believe it or not, we want to keep you alive. I didn't want her up to that skeleton. That thing terrified me. I don't like undead. I'm still going to run in and put myself between it and you or any other people here if I can. That's what we're going to do. That... That may be what you see, Garnak, but that is not what I see. I'm not sure what you're seeing. I'm just letting you know what's probably going to happen. I can tell you right now that Finn is not going to let you get hurt if he could help it. I'm not going to let you get hurt if I could help it. Jero and Magrin aren't going to let you get hurt if we can help it. We're going to protect you the same way we protect each other. And we're going, if you go running in somewhere that's dangerous, we'll be there with you. One way or the other, we're going to be there with you. That doesn't make sense, Gardak. You should not come running in after me because I am the one at the front. I go in, I see what's going on, and I take care of it. That is how the world works. You don't go running in and put yourself into harm's way if someone's already there. That's just stupid, honestly. Yeah, pretty I... much. I'm not arguing. I'm just more commenting on the shared insanity that the group of mortals around you kind of have. Something you might want to keep in mind. Maybe Magrin could explain it better. Max! Max! What? 
Can you explain to Vesper how we're probably all going to get ourselves killed trying to keep her alive? I mean, speak for yourselves, but in all honesty, Vesper, what's happening is something called sentiment. It makes people act like an idiot. Basically, all these, these uh, men we're with think that we need to be protected, so they will run into danger and stop you from doing your job. There it is, Magrin. Yeah, sentiment. There you go. That's why she's a teacher. Seriously. Yeah. So, so let that, me get this straight. Under, uh, sorry, with that, she reaches under the desk and, like, leans in so that her ear is pressed right against, like, where she can stick her arm into. And with a mighty heave, Magrin pulls out a grimoire, which is easily as heavy as she is. Dibs. Right. Back to you, Vesper. So, what you're telling me, Magrin, is that the men think we're weak, so they try and protect us so we can't get stronger? Not that we can't get stronger, they just assume we need help. It's a constant problem I've been noting across species lines. Well, That's yeah, except I do it for the elf. Well, no, the elf usually does need help. But, I, I, you know, I do it for Finn, too. So it's not just because you're female. Uh, not to be that person, but actually, when I pulled you back, it was so that you were in a better position to do the thing that you do best, which was kick butt. You pulled me over a table onto the ground. I don't have good control over that spell, but that my intention was pure. But you thought that me being right up next to the skeleton, ready to beat it up, wasn't a good position? Well, I didn't think you were ready to beat it up. I thought you were ready to, you know, threaten someone who was, you know, alive and such. And when it turned around and was already dead, I thought it might be a good idea to get you out of, you know, out of its reach so that you could do a little bit of spell work. Oh, fuck spell work. I was trying to beat something up because I haven't been able to, but no, things keep on getting in the way and people keep on getting in the way. And with that, Vesper will turn and punch the wall as hard as she fucking possibly can. Are you okay? I'm fine, Professor. You don't need to worry about me. You know I do. You know I have to. No, I really don't. But that's fine. Juro is going to pinch the bridge of his nose close his eyes as if he's got a searing migraine. Uh, and after rubbing his eyes for a second, we'll turn over to Magrin and say, what is, what is that book? A grimoire and potion book, I assume. Most likely one she wrote before her death. The book is probably two feet on a side. And about Nine inches thick. 
probably a five pound front cover. And uh, you kind of wrench something in your neck pulling it out, but you know, a small price to pay for that many cool points. Hmm. I begin kind of flipping through it to see if there's any kind of system or if this was more of a research notebook. So you crack this giant cover and that is exactly what it is. This is the grand grimoire of Professor Macumber, encompassing all of her spells and alchemical recipes and methods for casting those spells as potions. That said, the hand it is written in is crabbed and scrimped together. Well, this will be very useful. I did call dibs. Do you have space in your bag for it? I'll, I'll make space. I start looking for anything that, that isn't needed for immediately keeping myself safe. I'll pull out to try and fit that book in there. You actually have room. Excellent. We'll have to study that in depth later. Maybe we'll have a book club. Yes, I would like to take a look at it. And I was explicitly not invited. Oh, you're invited, Juro. You're absolutely invited. More the merrier. Hey. I'm more worried about us living. But once that's done, absolutely. B book club? I'm not quite familiar with the term. Basically, uh, intellectuals get together to discuss literature. Um, in this case, we'll be discussing the spell book and the merits of the spells in it. Nice. Can we do Juro's next? Because seriously, I got a lot of criticism. Nothing personal, just, uh, never mind. We'll talk later. Yeah, see, Juro's spell book is actually the, the, the full, complete, and unabridged version of Juro's spell book takes up the shelves behind his desk back at the university. 24 volumes, all handwritten, 300 pages each, hardcover, bound in ecru leather. Because you don't treat your grimoire like that, Juro. That's actually kind of offensive to your wizardly sensibilities. But what are you going to do, right? Battlefield conditions like this. Not to mention, in, in fairness, most of the spells in my uh, collection turned out not to work. <laughs> So while everyone else is um, while everyone else is discussing the book, Finn suddenly lifts his machete up over his head and slices it down onto something on the floor, and then lifts up to show that he just severed the skeletal hand from its arm that was chopped off, and he looks over at everyone and says, "What? I'm just taking a trophy." Yeah, this is a good one. It's all wired up and stuff like that, and it's still moving. Like, the fingers just close in sequence. That's the thing that caught your eye. I mean, you're looking around, there's all kinds of cool, weird stuff. You don't know how to use any of that. You know, it's a good thing nothing blew up. It's kind of a little uncomfortable in here. It's getting a little stinky, to be honest. And, yeah, those fingers are closing. Everybody else. Finn just picks up a limp, wired-up skeleton hand and looks at it like, cool, I'm just taking a trophy. No, Finn, it's moving. It's totally moving. When you said it's getting a little stinky in here, like, 
how bad are we talking? Well, the whole table full of chemical apparatus has been upset and is now in the room of fumes. So I need everybody now to make a very difficult tuition stay. Finn gets a 10. I'm going to assume a 22 is kind of okay. Yep. I got a 12 if it's for poison and an 8 if it's not. Well, it is. I still think I'm in trouble. Vesper rolled a four. All right. Twelve. So it's when Magrin flops over, Joe, that you notice everybody else in the room has passed out from the field. Oh, shit. Uh, uh, okay, okay, okay. I pull out my spell book. And I'm going to start casting that Unseen Servant again to help me drag people out of the room to a more uh, aerated area. So yeah, I pick them up by the shoulders, and the Unseen Servant picks them up by the feet. And we just I just start hauling them out one by one. Is there anyone out there? Cause it's getting harder and harder to breathe. Is there anyone out there? Cause it's getting harder and harder to breathe. Runelanders is recorded live and curated, produced, and edited by me with indispensable help from Cassie Goodwin-Harrison, Matthew Harrison, Chris Stockavaz, Greg Sednick, and Carrie Copley. All the usual people played all the usual parts, and if you want to know more about them, you can find out all about them, all about the little Easter eggs that I scattered through these episodes, and so much more at runelanders.com. Watch for our vastly improved website coming up soon. That'll about do it for this episode. Next time on Runelanders, we're gonna have some wicked awesome fun. You have to check it out. We'll see you then. I'm DM Matt Adam. I'm DM Good Guy. Reminding you to roll high and don't die. Until next. Take good care. Yeah. Yeah.